We are on our last sermon today um, from the book of Daniel. Have you enjoyed this, this, this sermon so far from Daniel? We're taking five weeks to go through the book of Daniel. And if you recall, the reason we did this, and some of you are like, oh, that's, I thought you were going to talk about end times and revelation stuff. And I'm like, yeah, no. What, you know why? Because I don't have a clue what it means. And neither does anybody else who tell you that they know what it means. We make some guesses. Um, but people have been writing, writing uh, books about this stuff for 2,000 years and trying to figure it out. doesn't mean we shouldn't study it, but there's, some, there's, a, there's an overriding message in the book of Daniel that I wanted us to focus on, and it's why we spent five weeks in it, that we wanted to look at some amazing people that are talked about in the book of Daniel, not just Daniel. Today we're not even going to talk about Daniel, but some of his friends, and how they stood strong in some very difficult situations. How did they stay faithful to God how did, they, how did they thrive in life? And how did they benefit from remaining faithful to God um, in really difficult situations? And I think this is really important to understand in the days that we find ourselves in. Um, like there's some challenges going on today. You know, ultimately, we know that God is in control of everything, and he has a wonderful future for his people, but we are living in times where, where things are changing, and following Jesus is beginning to have some challenges to it. So I think it's really important for us to learn from some people who faced some very difficult situations, probably a lot more difficult than we'll ever face, how they stood strong in this adversity and actually thrived through adversity. And we're going to look at those. So, so today, let's look at another situation where some followers of God faced great difficulty and stood strong and were blessed because of it. So we're going to look at three guys today. If I said to you, in the book of Daniel, tell me the names of three young men, what would you say? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Anybody ever see the Veggie Tales one about them? People still watch Veggie Tales? If you don't, get them, man. They're great for your kids. They're great for you, too. Videos of DVDs, not videos, DVDs about Bible messages with little, little vegetables and fruits telling the story. Um, but there's one about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's in chapter 3 of Daniel. You can turn there. We'll read from there in a little while. But uh, chapter 3 of, of, uh, of it. So let's kind of remember what's going on with these guys. Because now we're, we went through the end of the book of Daniel. Now we're coming back to chapter 3. And so you remember who these three are. Because we talked about them week 1. That they were three of the young men who along with Daniel were captured in Jerusalem when King Nebuchadnezzar defeated Jerusalem. Nebuchadnezzar ran all of Babylon. He was the king of Babylon. And he conquered a nation after nation after nation. And he conquered Israel and he conquered the city of Jerusalem. And he captured the people and he took the best and the brightest and sent them off or exiled them to Babylon to make them serve the king. Um, and in that process... What he did is he stripped them of their identities, their Hebrew identities, and he gave them new names that identified with gods, and he made them understand their literature and their language, trying to make them into Babylonians, people who served his God and not the God of Israel. So in chapter 3, we find these three boys, and they were boys at this time, probably 14 or 15. Tyler, how old are you? 13. So stand up, Tyler. About this guy's age, right? You're kind of tall for your age, aren't you? Are you average? Average. So about Tyler's age and size. Thank you, Tyler. You can sit down. Is it all right that I had you stand up without asking in advance? You don't mind. All right. 
So about 14 or 15 years old these boys are at this time. And King Nebuchadnezzar has, at, when they find themselves here, they're serving him in his, in his royal entourage. And he's built this huge statue. And we assume it's a statue that looks like Nebuchadnezzar, but it never says that. It just says a huge statue. Built this huge statue. It's like 90 feet tall. And it's covered in gold. And he gathers all the leading people of his kingdom together. And he commands them. He says, listen, I'm going to have some music play. And when the music plays, you must bow down and worship this golden image. And he says, anyone who does not bow down and worship the statue will be cast into the furnace of blazing fire. Say this with me. Say, furnace of blazing fire. Furnace of blazing fire. I want us to stop for a minute and think about something. They have a furnace of blazing fire. Can you imagine this? In their time, when these boys lived, we're talking about hard times, it was normal for them to have some kind of a huge furnace erected into which disobedient people would be tossed. This was the world they lived in. You say, people say, oh, pastor, it could never get worse than this. These are the worst of the times ever. Friends, we ain't seen nothing yet. They had a furnace of blazing fire that they built to throw people into if they did not listen to the king. It was scary days. You know what this reminds me of? What's the Indiana Jones movie? Where Indiana Jones, he's got the little guy he calls Shorty. Is he in more than one of his movies? Shorty, and they go into this big underground cavernous place, and there's all these kids who are working mining. You know what I'm talking about? And they sneak up and look over the edge, and they see this, this idol worship time going on. There's a big head carved, and it's got these stones that Indiana Jones wants to steal, his eyeballs. You know which one I'm talking about, right? You've seen it? The Temple of Doom, thank you. And here's what happens. Indy's watching, and they're worshiping a false god, and if they don't do it the right way, what do they do? They take a person, they stick them in his cage, and they lower them into the, into the furnace of blazing doom. It's what they do. That's what I think it was like. And you say, well, why in the world would you talk about Indiana Jones in church? Because that's, I think, a mental image of exactly what these people were facing. They lived in such a deplorable place that if they did not follow what the king said, they actually had an apparatus erected to burn you alive if you didn't follow. That's a scary situation. And these three boys, Tyler's age, are standing there in the crowd being told to bow and to worship a huge golden statue or else they're going to be thrown into the fire. You know, you got to think about something with Scripture. These aren't just fairy tales. This is real stuff. This really happened to these boys. They're standing there, and they have this incredible, impossible situation before them. Nebuchadnezzar tells the musicians to start playing. And they start playing, and they're thinking, what are we going to do? And everybody gets down on their hands and knees, and they bow, and they worship, except Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they stand there. And so they're dragged up to the king and they tell the king, hey, Neb, these guys, these, these 
servants of yours, you played the music and they didn't bow. They refused to bow. They refused to worship. So let's pick up the story right there where that happens. Daniel chapter 3. We're going to read all the way to verse 28, starting at verse 14. It says, Nebuchadnezzar responded and said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you did not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, at the moment you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the lyre, the trigon, the psaltery, the bagpipe, and all kinds of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made very well. But if you do not worship, you will immediately be cast into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. And what God is there who can deliver you out of my hands? Verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, Tyler's age, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with wrath. And his facial expression was altered towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he answered by giving orders to heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. He commanded certain valiant warriors who were in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in order to cast them into the furnace of blazing fire. Then these men were tied up in their trousers, their coats, their caps, and their other clothes and were cast into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. For this reason, because the king's command was urgent, and the furnace had been made extremely hot, the flame of the fire slew those men who carried up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire, still tied. Then Nebuchadnezzar, the king, was astonished, and stood up in haste, And said to his high officials, Was it not three men we cast bound into the midst of the fire? And they replied to the king, Certainly, O king. And he said, Look, I see four men loosed and walking about in the midst of the fire without harm. And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the fire, the furnace of blazing fire, and he responded and he said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out, you servants of the Most High God, and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the midst of the fire, the satraps and the perfects, which are his leaders. The governors and the king's high officials gathered around and saw in regard to these men that the fire had no effect on their bodies. And of these men, nor was their hair of their head singed, nor were their trousers damaged, nor had the smell of fire even come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who put their trust in him, violating the king's command and yielding up their bodies so as to not serve or worship any god except their own. There's so much in that story. 
that I think we can learn from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego on how they managed to stand strong in a time of fire, in a time of stress. How do they stand strong in times of challenge and fear and uncertainty? There's a lot, I think, that they, that they teach us. And you know the kind of times I'm talking about. You know, we don't have furnaces of blazing fire. Thank God we don't. But there are things that go on in all of our lives that are times of incredible challenge and fear and uncertainty. And you know what the times are like. Things are going great. And your boss says, hey, I need to see you in my office. You ever been there? And he sits you down and he says, man, I love you. You're awesome. But your position's been eliminated. You say, but what am I going to do? He says, well, I'm sorry. It's just business is business. And your, your position is eliminated. 350 people from, from a Kohler just got that call. Happens every day. A time of uncertainty. A time of challenge. A time of fear. Or you go to your routine checkup at the doctor and everything's fine. And he says, hey, you know what? That mole looks funny. Or this test result doesn't seem right. We need to check some more stuff out. And there's anxiety. And there's worry as you wait for the test results and you go through the process. So we all face challenging times. And I want to point out some things from, from what I see in these three young men's lives that I think can be really helpful for us as we face our furnace of blazing fire, whatever that looks like in our life. The first thing is, and this is implied, but I want to explain it because I think it's, it's vitally important. The first thing I see about them is that they chose their crowd. I'm going to explain that. They chose their crowd. They chose what crowd they were going to be part of. Let me explain. I know we started in verse 14, but look back at verses 4 and 5. It says, then the herald loudly proclaimed. It's all the same story. It's telling when they didn't bow down. The herald loudly proclaimed, to you the command is given, O peoples, nations, and men of every language. At the moment you hear the sounds of all the instruments, fall down and worship the golden image of Nebuchadnezzar king, that king has set up. They were in this huge crowd of people. It says here it's huge because it's people from every people group and nation and language. These are all the people that, that Nebuchadnezzar has done to like he did to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He's conquered their country. He's taken the best and the brightest and he's brought them to be his servants. So there's this massive crowd of people from every nation and people group and language. It's a crowd that, that all then bows down when the music is played as we find out. Every one of them except for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I'd say this. It's, it's similar to most of the crowds that every one of us find ourselves in um, every single day of our life. It's people who could be nice and can be intelligent like these people were, but they are worshiping everything except the one true God. That's the crowd we find ourselves in most of our lives. That leads us in directions, or tempts us into directions that we should not go. If they would have said to the person next to them, hey, you know, what are you going to do? You came from a different country. What God do you serve? 
They're like, I don't care what God I serve, man. I'm bowing down right now because I don't want to be tossed into that fire, that furnace of blazing fire. We all have a crowd around us. But there's another crowd around us all the time too. Maybe, I shouldn't say maybe, we can't see them. Some of them, but they're just as real. I'll explain. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, it says this. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What's the author of Hebrews say? There is a crowd of witnesses surrounding us. Friend, every believer has got, that has gone before us, every follower of Jesus, all of the angels, all of the spiritual authorities that the book of Hebrews talks, or, or Ephesians talks about, all these spiritual authorities, Jesus himself, God the Father and the Holy Spirit. They're the cloud of witnesses. They are as real as anyone who stands opposed to you. The cloud of witnesses is as real as anything else on this earth that you can grab. Matter of fact, it's more real. Because the Bible says from the spiritual realm, in the beginning, God spoke this world into being. It existed first. It's just as real. And here's what they're doing. They're cheering you on. They're telling you, you're never alone. That's what the cloud of witnesses is telling you. You're never alone, ever. Now like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we also have another part of that group. Look to your right. Okay, look to your right. It's okay in church. Look to your left. You can move. You have people sitting around you. You have this great cloud of witnesses, but that doesn't just extend just to that spiritual realm. You have brothers and sisters in Christ who are standing with you and walking through adversity with us. We have one another. We have a crowd around us. And we need to choose which crowd we are going to stand with. You see, I'm going to choose the eternal family of God every time. It's always the best bet. Nebuchadnezzar's not around anymore. Right? But the kingdom of God is. I'm going to choose the eternal family of God to stand with every time. When everyone else around us is kneeling to the ways that are contrary to God, you can stand strong with the eternal family of God. God, The cloud of witnesses cheering you on. You are never alone. Friends, this is empowering especially in those moments when you're facing the furnace of blazing fire, whatever that might be in your life. When you need to stand strong, you need to remember you are never alone. What does Hebrews tell us? To fix, because of the cloud of witnesses, fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and know that you are surrounded by this massive cheering section all the time. So they understood that. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego chose to stand with God's crowd instead of bowing 
with the world's crowd that was around them. That was the first thing they did that was right. But then there's something else that they did to enable them to stand firm that is so important, is this. They stood strong because they had a correct view of God in which to stand upon. Sometimes when life gets shaky, we need to have something solid to stand upon. And a solid thing we stand upon is a right understanding of who God is. This is so important. There's a lot we really don't know about God. There's a lot. Matter of fact, the older I get, the more I learn, and the more I learn, the more I realize that God is infinitely greater than anything I could ever imagine and the things I thought were all true and right, a lot of times about things, God being defined in these little ways, little boxes, I'm concluding that I was never right. However, there are some things we can know about God, and these three boys stood on them. Look at what I think could be the most amazing statement about people's belief in all the Bibles. Look at verses 16 through 18 again. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods. What did they know about God for sure? What did they stand on? When they were pushed right at the entrance of the furnace of blazing fire, everything around them being shaken. They chose to stand with the crowd of witnesses. And what did they stand upon? They stood upon this truth about God. It can be summarized this way. He can, he will, even if. He can, he will, even if. He can deliver us, they said. They knew God was able. They understood that he was supreme and that he could do anything. And they knew that there was nothing that Nebuchadnezzar could ever do if God had other plans. They said, listen, we know our God can. Neb, you may think you're something. You even said, what God can deliver you? Oh, we know a God that can deliver us, Neb. Our God is way greater than you. Matter of fact, he made you. He made you. They knew that was true. That was their God. Then they also knew, guess what? That God of strength and power, he will deliver us. They knew, they knew their own history. They knew the history of God's people. They knew that God is loving and wants his best for his children and his followers. They stood upon the history of God where, where he had time and again delivered the children of God. They knew that he had parted the Red Sea um, uh, when the Egyptians were chasing him, that he had delivered Joseph from the prison uh, and put him in the palace and had knocked down the walls of Jericho when they stood in the way of the people of God. They knew God's history. God will deliver in times of trouble, and they knew it. And friends, knowing this makes all the difference when you're in a difficult time. God is good, and he wants what is best for you and me. He's saying, listen, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. The trial will come to an end. God will bring you through. You can trust him. You can trust in his love. But then there's another statement that they have. He can, he will, But even if, but even if he does not. See, they understood something else about God. They understood that God was sovereign. What I mean by that is that he possesses supreme and ultimate power. 
He's the ultimate one who controls everything and is all-powerful. They understood that they were part of God's ultimate plan, that he was in charge, that he was the one of the big picture, and they understood that he was the creator, he is the sustainer of life, and that they are important to him, but they are not God themselves. So they could trust in his good plan for themselves and all of mankind And they could trust that that God had them and that they were an important part of what he was doing. You know, church, there are some things that we just don't understand. We are not God and we don't see the big picture. We don't understand all the picture and all the plans he has for all of creation. And that's okay. We don't need to figure everything else out. Anybody else like me, your propensity is to have to figure everything out? It's exhausting. It's exhausting trying to be your own God. These guys understood what we need to understand. That's his job. I'm glad it's not mine. It's his job. They're saying he can, he will, but even if he doesn't, they're going, he's the supreme one, he's the authority, he's got the big plan, and we trust him completely, and we think this is what he's going to do, but if he doesn't, it must be because he's got something better going on. Can you see how having a correct view of God helped them to stand firm? They knew God could. They knew God would. They trusted that he loved them and cared for them. They also knew that ultimately he was God and they were not, so they could rest in his sovereignty. And friends, that takes all the pressure off of us when we are in adversity. Because in adversity, what's normally going on is we don't know what's going on. That's what's going on in adversity. You don't know what's going on. See, we live in this delusion that we that we think we know what's going to happen today, the next day, the next day. It That's an illusion. It's just not true. We don't know what tomorrow holds. And in adversity, what happens is we come face to face with that reality that we don't know what's going on. But we know God has a big picture, and God has the plan, and God is sovereign. It takes the pressure off of us when we are in adversity. We don't need to have all the answers. We can rest in his care, and his plan. That's how they stood. That's how they stood in this time of pressure. And there's one more thing that I think is so important we can learn from them. That's how they stood, but there's something else that I think for someone in here, maybe many people in here today, this can be a key to help you in your time when you're facing the furnace of blazing fire. And it's this. Look at something that's pointed out in the story. In verse 23, look what it says. It says that they, it goes through great detail to say this, that they tied them up with all of their clothes on. It even mentions their kind of clothes, right? It says they, they have all this clothes and they toss them into the fire. Then in verse 25, it says they were loosed. So it says they were tied up and tossed in the fire. And then verse, a couple of verses later, it says they were loosed and they're walking around the fire with someone who looks like the son of the gods. Now, I believe that's Jesus, a pre-incarnate Christ. It's called the Christophany in Scripture. It means when in the Old Testament, before Jesus came to earth in bodily form, that we understand that he did reveal himself at times. And I think that's what's going on here. So what's the point? Very often the place where you find freedom 
and where you grow is during times of difficulty and adversity in your life. It's where your ropes are burned off. We live through life and we have a lot of things that bind us up, that tie us up. Unforgiveness and hurts and wounds. And they, and they restrict us from becoming who we're supposed to be. When we go through adversity, what we see in these guys is the ropes that tied them were burned off and they walked in freedom. Now I know what I'm going to say right now will seem difficult if not impossible, especially if you right now feel like you are in the furnace of blazing fire, but I believe it's the best. And it's this, the best advice. Embrace your trials as opportunities for growth. Embrace your difficulties as opportunities for growth. See, usually when we come, when trials come, this is what we do. We fight against them, or we run away from them, or we somehow scheme to find our way out of them. I'm good at that. There's this natural, this is natural, but what happens is it usually doesn't work. It surely doesn't make us better, usually running away from the trial or conniving our way out of it. Remember something, God's greatest desire for you is to help you grow, to help you be formed into the image of Christ, to be more like Jesus on the inside so it radiates out to the outside, to help you become who you are instead of being limited because of all the hurts and wounds in your life. And friends, when we embrace trials, we stop and we invite Jesus into them. We stop and we ask him what good he possibly could do in me during the trial, in you during the trial. As we do that, he will help you to mature and to grow. Friends, don't let the pain be wasted. Don't let the pain be wasted in your life. Allow God to use it to help you become better. A better version of who God created you to be. Let Him burn off the ropes of unforgiveness in your life as you go through trials. Let Him burn off the ropes of needing to defend yourself when you're attacked. Let Him, let him set you free from your need to retaliate against somebody who's done you wrong. You see, when you invite him into the pain and the hurt and the loss, you hold it up to him and ask him to replace that with what he wants you to be. Say, God, help me to forgive because you forgive through me. God, help me, enable me to love as you love through me. God, enable me to be healed as I, as I go through this process of challenge. Friends, don't waste the pain. The pain hurts no matter what through a difficulty. Don't waste the pain. Allow it to make you better. That's what God wants to do in the trial. These guys came out better. Nebuchadnezzar stood, stood in front of all of them and said, these three guys, man, they stood the test. Worship their God. You think they, they walked out of that feeling 10 feet tall, knowing their God could do anything. Don't waste the pain. 
allow it to make you better. Now, I think this. I think it's quite possible that some people in here are going through the fire right now in your life. Invite Jesus into it. Say, God, I welcome you into it. Help me to understand what you want to do in me. What we want to always do is we say, Jesus, change it, fix it, take it away. Instead, say, Jesus, I'm standing in it. I'm welcoming you into this moment with me. Ask him to help you be set free from some of the attitudes and actions and strongholds and fears that have been holding you back from becoming who God wants you to be. See, he wants to burn those ropes off of you. And a lot of times, in order to bring you into freedom and joy, but a lot of times the only place those ropes get burnt off is when you are in the middle of the fire. Friends, welcome Jesus into it. Let's pray together. Lord, we're talking about something that is... um, potentially really, really personal right now. Looking at lives, and we've been, we've been trying in this, whole, in this whole series, trying to look at how do we get through tough times. And Lord, we're dealing with the fact that we all face times where it feels like we're put in the fire. And Lord, it's just very possible that some people in this place right now are feeling like that. If that's you today, as we're just in a moment of prayer, our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, and you're in the midst of the fire right now. I believe that God wants you to welcome him into it. He loves you. He cares for you. He's not forgotten about you. And he wants you to know his presence and his peace in the midst of the trial. So you're in that situation right now. I want to just pray with you and for you. So Father, you know everyone that right now in this place is saying, it's hard to go on. It's hard to move forward. My heart is broken. The situation seems too big. And right now, Jesus, this is what we know about you. You are love. That's the one word that you use to describe yourself. You are love. And so right now, we invite you to come into our lives in a very healing way. Lord, we know the fire sometimes still continues to rage. It did with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego for a period of time after the ropes were burned off because they walked around in the fire with the ropes burned off, walking around loosed. And so, Lord, we would pray this, that the pain would not be wasted, that right now we invite you to come into our, into our lives in a special and a healing way. Wrap your arms around everyone who feels that they're in that circumstance today. And would you just breathe the love that you have into their soul this morning. So that they would feel your presence and your reality. 
And Lord, begin to burn off some of those ropes that hold us back. Those ropes of insecurity. Those ropes of fear. Those ropes of unforgiveness. Those ropes of the need to retaliate. All these things in our lives that hold us back. Begin to burn them away, God. In this moment. We trust you to do a work that only you can do today, Lord. We thank you for it.